0: No!
1: Hello everyone, welcome to Mouth Off. This is the official podcast of heyyouguys.co.uk. My name's John Lyas and this week I'm joined by two writers on the site. We have Emily Breen and Craig Skinner joining us. Also we have the lovely Brendan Conley from SlashFilm.com. We're going to take apart a few of the films that are out or coming out in the next couple of weeks, talk a bit about the Empire Awards which we were at last Sunday, to go through a few bits of news, have a look at a few trailers, and then at the end of the show we're going to be uh, having our, our regular... Um, still untitled although this week we're going to call it the movie resurrection roundtable so um, there have been a couple of suggestions people have emailed in uh, about what to call this uh, what to call the section so if you do have any more then uh, then do please uh, send us an email mouth off at heyyouguys.co.uk okay guys right now there are two films that we're going to be looking at today one of them is great apparently the other one Pants. Now uh, we're going to take a look at um, Louis Leterrier's Clash of the Titans, which opens today. I believe. It's um, a huge bombastic 3D retelling of the Greek myth Sam Worthington's in it Um, who else is in it? Uh, Matt Mickelson is in it, Nicholas Holt's in it and it is pretty terrible. Um, Brendan and I saw this at the screening on Tuesday night up in in Leicester Square and we spoke to a few people afterwards and the reaction was pretty much the same all over. Let's get a take from Brendan. Brendan um, you saw this straight after the second film that we're going to be talking
2: about what did you think of Clash of the Titans I think John we wouldn't be doing our job properly if at the end of this podcast anybody listening would consider for a second paying money to watch Clash of the Titans I think it's an absolute atrocity and I use the phrase crime against cinema quite a lot and I'd say that this is really it's a crime in the third degree there's almost no Redeeming elements to any component of it whatsoever. There's some competence in the lighting, some competence in the camera operating, competence in the editing, and competence in some of the CG. But pretty much on every other level, everybody involved should not be ashamed of themselves. I'm expecting a personal signed letter of apology. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I have to say that, that you, though that was actually quite 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 reasonably stated. Actually, Brandon, we once, when, when we spoke after the um, after the screening, we used many many uh, many more words and ones that we probably couldn't talk about on the, on a podcast that's suitable. Oh, we sounded like
2: Hit Girl, didn't we? Yeah, we really
1: really did. I actually expect a Daily Mail article pretty soon. Um, Clash of the Titans. Uh, I have to say, I, I was quite a big fan of the of, eighties of the eighties one. It wasn't one that I sort of had any you know keen keen interest in, in going back to see before this one. But I had real hopes for this one. I thought that um, you know Sam Worthington is supposed to be this this up and coming star, and he's meant to be the one that a lot of people are putting their you know their money behind to be the next big thing. And uh, the snippets that we've seen in the trailers um, and, and online have looked. Fine. They haven't mind blame, but they've they, they pointed to good things. Um, this film is a failure on every level, at every moment. There is nothing about this film that I enjoyed, that I even thought of as being quite good. Um, the script in particular is so bad, with so much exposition, that... And I'm going to give an example here. There's a scene where one of the, one of the soldiers dies, and he's being kind of buried in rocks... It's all very moving, um, and it, it cuts to... No, it isn't. No, 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 no okay. it isn't. Sorry, yeah. It's not moving at all. It's actually a farce. You've got no idea who this guy was and why he died, etc., etc. But one But one of, one of the other, other guys, other soldiers, puts two coins over his eyes, or puts a coin over each eye. He then looks up at what could be the camera. It's actually some you know, another character standing behind the camera. And he uses the phrase, a bribe for the ferryman. Now I'm sorry but you know I I knew that and even if you didn't know that Why would you tell someone? And then, I have to say, it was also, that was the end of the scene. It lasted about, sort of, 30 seconds. The only point was to say a bribe for the ferryman. It's amazing, isn't it? Do you know what it
2: really reminded me of? What's that? It reminded me of The Dark Knight, because there's a bit in The Dark Knight, and I hate The Dark Knight in ways that I hate Clash of the Titans. But there's a bit in The Dark Knight which is incredibly similar, and it's where the mobile phone rings in the guy's stomach. And you've got a guy on the floor, and he looks up as though, you know, towards the camera direction, but past it. And he says, it's a mobile phone. <laughs> I haven't seen that bit. I'm going to
1: have to go and watch it again. But, I mean, the the script and, and the exposition is, is, is one thing. And Gemma Arterton's character um, exists... For no other reason than to tell the audience exactly what 's going on um, and, and, and to look kind of you know goddessy and, and things like that, Sam Worthington, who doesn 't even attempt any, any any other kind of accent he, he is like an Australian demigod he has no connection to anything that 's going on it 's almost as if he just lands. In this, you know, in this city which is about to be destroyed, and they say to him, "Yeah, you. I think if you go off and, you know, and get these things and just kill the crack." And he's like, "Okay, well, I'll just, you know, I'll go along." They try and do things like training montages. They try and do um, bits where he's supposed to call back to when his his like, adoptive um, family died, and everything's very tragic. And the worst part, I think, for me was was the gods because the gods here are in the form of Liam Neeson. As Zeus and and um, Ray Fiennes as as Hades, their scenes together are so laughably bad. It's as if we are watching a sketch show doing a parody of Clash of the Titans. Liam Neeson in particular, who's got these you know this enormous flowing mane of hair over what is a silver armoured suit which has lights on it exactly like the Cylons did in Battlestar Galactica in the seventies. It's a farce. The whole thing's ridiculous. Ray Fiennes, it's as if the anguished look on his face is that they've turned the camera on exactly at the moment where he's realised what a pile
2: of crap this is. And it just goes on throughout the whole film. Um, well, there's something very amusing about that scene actually with the two of them. There's a few mm-hmm. things. I write all them off quickly. One, Agnes Dean is one of the gods, right? And like mm-hmm. she's been almost completely cut out too. Danny Houston's in it for like four seconds. Is that all of Poseidon's stuff Yeah, all of Poseidon stuff has just been like stripped out. Yeah, I don't yeah. know why. Right. Now, isn't it funny that it's Oscar Schindler and Amund <laughs> having a rematch <laughs> up there in Olympia? It's hilarious. And then it's really funny that they've both got these clear ideas of how you pronounce some of these words. And they're not buckling. And they're saying them back and forth to each other in completely different ways. Pastures. Pastures. It's just fantastic. It's
1: Oh dear! Yeah, I have to say, um, yeah. If, if they'd have called it Schindler's List two, I think it would have come away with uh, with with more fans. Um, let's let's open this up a little bit. Um, I've spoken a bit to to you, um, Em, about this. Um, you have no plans to go and see this. What what were your expectations of this film from from what you'd seen?
0: Well, I, I think my hope had been obviously I kind of was a little bit affronted when I heard about the remake, and then I thought, well, if they're going to do it, presumably they're doing it for a reason and they're going to do it properly. And I, I'm not particularly an effects person, but I, I must admit I was intrigued to see what they would do with it. And now I just, I just think it's been a complete exercise in futility. I don't understand the purpose of it. It's, if anything, it's utterly, utterly damaged the reputation of the film for a little bit because you're just quite off-put from the whole story for a while, actually.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, Craig, what about you? I mean, I don't know if you've got any plans to go and see this. Don't is is my only offer explanation, but (laughs) what what, what, what did you think, um, you know, sort of leading up to this this film?
3: Um, I think it looked like it could have potential to be a fun action film, but apart from that, I didn't have much hope. I think Sam Worthington especially... I, I don't really understand why he's so popular. I'm not even sure he is popular. Do people go and watch films? He's like not Sam popular. He's not, I think
1: people would tell you that he's popular, um, but I've, I've yet to be convinced. No, I don't
3: know anyone who would go and watch a film because Sam Worthington's in it. I think the films he's been in so far, people have gone see them because of the films they are. I think you're right. Also, I'm not too sure about the amount of money that was spent on it. and uh, no. In particular, the fact that they took what, sounds like it's a bad film. I mean obviously I haven't seen it, so maybe I'll love it. But um they took what sounds like a really bad film that cost a lot of money and then they spent an extra I don't know what it was, maybe around twenty million or something I think it cost to like, convert it to three D, which oh, it's nowhere counts. nearly
2: that much. It's, actual, it's about six million, but all the same, how many yeah. people feed for six
1: million? And I have to say that um this is one of the things that Brent and I were were laughing about um, as we were as we were strolling away from the Empire Leicester Square. The Brendan, you mentioned this is a crime in the third degree. This is actually a crime against cinema in the third dimension because they've made it look such bad. um, 3D. Um, We were were laughing about the fact that in certain scenes, and particularly the the scenes um, contained within Olympus, where you have a shot of Ray Fiennes, for example, and his face looks flat. The top of his head looks flat, but a bit further back, it's as if they've got. I mean, and I put this in my review. It's as if they put body doubles in and then superimposed like a flat face mask, um, the 3D works so, so badly in, in certain scenes, and in the other scenes it's of no consequence whatsoever. So, and, and I had to say that this was the first film that I, I, I've been taking my glasses off quite a lot and thinking, you know, more so than Alice in Wonderland, more so than, than, than that. I think, sod it, I might as well just watch this in 2D because the actual 3D, even the Kraken scene, it's just, there's nothing to it at all. Um, and it gave me a
2: headache as well. So I, I think it's kind of... I guess it's in, incumbent upon me as the, the local 3D geek to talk about this a little bit, really. Um, it, it's not that it's converted from 2D to 3D, that the 3D is bad. It's that it's converted from 2D to 3D badly. Yeah, yeah. Now, I've seen films that have been converted from 2D to 3D, most notably, I say, Nightmare Before Christmas, which is an incredibly good uh, conversion, and it's, it's very good. And there's even reasons you might choose... ...to handle bits of your, your film this way... ...rather than shoot them in 3D in the first place... ...depending upon what your intent is, okay? Now, um, uh, the 3D in this film is problematic for one main reason. They can't get their cues in a line. They're trying to make us focus somewhere... Um, ...where our eyes aren't converging and vice versa... It, it, it could leave just about anybody with a headache And 3D doesn't inherently give you a headache That's not true That's a myth Bad 3D will give you a headache however And Clash of the Titans is pretty much like Driving a truck through someone's frontal lobe hmm. I mean, It's really very Very badly considered 3D Um, Is it because it's rushed, or is it because they went to cheat people, or is it because they just ended up with people who didn't know what they were doing, or is it just because the people who were doing it knew that it wouldn't matter anyway? But the the, the bottom line is, it was done badly. Don't assume all 2D to 3D conversions are going to be bad, but this one, I mean, I love 3D, I think it is great, I think it is the future, I think it's a new vocabulary for cinema, but I swear, I swear to you, do not pay the premium to watch this in 3D. They're mugging you. Yeah, I have to say, I completely,
1: completely agree with that. Um, and I was just disappointed to see that, um, that this film looks to be doing pretty well um, so far. I mean, people are talking up the fact that it's going to follow in the success of, of, of Alice in Wonderland and mm. be another big, you know, 3D film that that does very well at the box office because then it could mean that we will see a lot of other rushed 3D conversions. And you know, Brendan, I'm I'm not quite as, as enthusiastic about 3D as as you are, but um, I do think that when done well, and you know, it can be it can be good. And uh, what I'm really looking forward to is some uh, other directors uh, make use of the of the tool in ways that we maybe haven't even thought of yet, and certainly haven't seen yet. Guys, I'm, I'm just just before we kind of close up on Clash of the Titans, um, and Your thoughts on on 3D, which 3D films have you seen? What do you think of it?
0: Actually, I was going to say I have, I think, some kind of news to be excited about in terms of 3D. I'm quite a fan of the idea of 3D being used in the sort of cheesy horror driving style movie Mm -hmm. experience. And um, although we can't talk about it for a few weeks until it goes up on the site, I spoke to Neil Marshall last week and obviously he's about to be involved with Burst the exploding people three-dimensional movie film, which I think sounds genius, and I'm super excited about that. Actually,
1: <laughs> so you, I mean, uh, you can't talk much about it. Come back on the podcast when you can, and then, and then can't we'll talk, talk about, about
0: that. Centurion. Can't talk about the Neil Marshall. But in terms of Burst, yes, I'm excited about the horrific future of three-dimensional film.
1: <laughs> that sounds good, Craig. What about you? 3D? Um, are you a big fan of it? Um,
3: I can't say I am. No, I've only seen two films, and I think I've yet to be impressed. I think I'm I'm definitely not writing it off in any way, because um, obviously it's a new technique that could be used really interestingly, but I haven't seen it used really interestingly yet. Um, so I'm excited. I'm, I think I'm excited about seeing a real visual master get behind it and do something really interesting with it, or even just a more kind of art house take on it might be quite fascinating. I saw last year Enter the Void, uh, the Gaspar Noé film. And I walked out of that and thought, oh, if only he had enough money at the moment to make the 3D film, because it would be just fascinating to watch. I don't know if it would necessarily be good, but it would definitely be fascinating. I, I do, it, it
1: wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> but we can save that for another time. OK, Brendan, let's let us close up on Clash of the Titans. Should people see it or
2: should they not? They should absolutely not see it. And if they, for any reason, are a fan of the original be warned that this film insults the original. Oh, You're going to leave feeling insulted. Uh, specifically and pointedly, he has a little moment where they attack the original film, don't they, John? D- don't go and see Clash of the Titans. Do not go and see Clash of the Titans.
1: You, you've been ordered by Brendan, and I have to say, I'm going to add another voice to that chorus because it is um, probably one of the worst films that I've seen for a long, long time. There was no love in it, there was no degree of humanity in it. It was pretty much pretty pictures, pretty people jumping about shouting, There's some swords. There's uh, a bit of a bit of C G the Kraken, which doesn't look very good at all and is there for no reason other than just to show off um you know, the uh the director's ability or not to handle C G. And I I couldn't forgive what what they did with, with the old film because I'm I'm not gonna tell you what exactly happens because you may end up seeing it, but um it's it's a moment that could have been uh, quite a nice little nod um to fans of the original and it ended up Uh, Like I said, just, you know, punching them in the face. Um, So don't see Clash of the Titans in 2D or 3D. Um, Okay, guys, let's move on to something a little nicer. Brendan um, and Craig, uh, you've seen a film um, that I think hasn't been marketed particularly, you know, so far here um, in the UK. You can tell us a bit more about it. It's um, Drew Barrymore's directorial debut. Uh, It's Whip It. Craig, you saw this quite a while ago, didn't you? What did you think of it?
3: Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think I didn't like it quite as much as I, I think Brendan did, but um, I from I just saw some of his tweets uh, about the film. It sounds like he really, really loved it. I think I really enjoyed it.
1: Um, Tell I us a bit about the actual. Because I mean, all I, all, all I know is you know from, from as, a, as a film fan is that it's about it's got Ellen Page and it's about roller derby.
3: Yeah, I think it's about it's about a new type of roller derby. I think that's probably the most important part. Um, it's an update to roller derby where it focuses on what I suppose you could consider an, a more alternative scene. But there's a very good joke in the film uh, where one of her friends, kind of her old friends, the main character Bliss, says to her, "Are you alternative now?" And she replies something along the lines of "Alternative to what?" Um, which I quite liked. Uh, in the film but although it focuses on a group of women that are tattooed and like rock music and punk music um, it doesn't focus too heavily on the fact that they're quite unquote alternative um, the film centres on Bliss played by Alan Page and she has a pretty humdrum life in a small town um, her mother enters her own beauty pageants, which you can tell she doesn't really like um, her mum kind of pushes her into it quite a lot and um, she then goes along and sees a roller derby and totally falls in love with this new scene, and she just wants to be part of it. Um, and then the film, in the film, you see her become part of that scene, and how that changes her life, and how the small things in her life change as well as the big things.
1: Okay, I mean, it, it sounds sounds good. Drew Barrymore does she do a good? Does she do a good first first feature film?
3: I think she does a solid job. I didn't think there was anything. Massively impressive about the direction, but I think it's competent and it, it, well, it's more than competent. It's really solid. I think, uh, the action's kind of exciting. Uh, I think some of the Royal Derby scenes could have been a bit, a bit more exciting the way they were filmed, but it was, it was pretty good. And, uh, I think pacing wise, it's great. I think as a film in general, people are going to love it. I think it's a real shame that it doesn't really appear to have had much a decent marketing.
1: Job. Uh, what about Ellen Page? How is she doing? Because she's one of my favourites and you know, I'm looking for something you know, good from her here. Does she deliver?
3: I think she does, Yeah, She gives a really sweet, kind of genuine performance. I think after seeing Juno, which kind of tires after a while, I think, the performance in Juno and I think it can be a little bit painful to look back on that film sometimes with the, the way that she was in it. And I think a lot of people who maybe didn't like Juno will actually like It, and will like Alan Page again. Um, I think she's pretty good in it, yeah. And she dropped out of Drag Me to Hell to play the lead in this role. So it was obviously something she was interested in doing. And I think she, yeah, she turns herself to it really well.
2: Okay, excellent. Brendan, tell us about your experience with Whippet. I think it's, a, it's like my new sweetheart, really. Do you know what I mean? It's like a, it's like a dessert that I can't wait to, to eat again. I think this film challenges or can be used as a way in discussion of challenging the way that we normally think about cliches in cinema, in that there's nothing really radically off centre about any of the plotting here. And it, it sort of uses generic conventions from the sort of uh, little girl from a small town and the sort of sporting underdogs team. Uh, movies and it sort of blends these together without any sort of radically you know new new plot digressions. But but why it works and, and I think it works for the reason that any piece of plotting works is at any given moment you're drawn in by understanding who these people are, what they're feeling, what the stakes are for them. And uh, you know, you go on the journey with them. There's clarity of storytelling here. It's a very simple screenplay in terms of how it's structured. It's very elegant though. And the characterisation, though it's very slight and it's done with quite a few, you know, a few brush strokes, it's not it's not overly sort of flecked on, it's, it's brilliant and, and uh um you know, just very precise in in, in the way it's uh, put on the page, and the cast really do an incredible job of bringing the characters to life, and it is really a film that rests on the shoulders of its ensemble cast, but they're just superb. Drew Barrymore's put herself in there, in a small part, but, uh, um, you know, she does a great job of it, and she knows that she's cast perfectly to type, and that's kind of the point here. She casts people who are hang on for what they're asked to do Juliet Lewis, I mean there's nobody more appropriate for this role than Juliet Lewis, Kristen Wiig is given a role that's perfectly in her wheelhouse and so on as we make our way down the cast list, Daniel Stern Marsha Gay Harden and of course Ellen Page and I think there are comparisons to be made to Juno there are comparisons to be made um, to the way that Page plays the character in that film but you know That's only because this is a film that sits right with Ellen Page. Juno is a film that sits right with Ellen Page. I don't think people are necessarily going to think this is too novel. I think people might come out saying, well, um, I kind of knew how it was going to end. Because really, there are only three ways it could end. They win, they lose, or they draw, right? (laughs) And people in the audience are going to be expecting one or the other. But I think if you are at all invested, um, then, then you'll go with it. And the only reason you won't be invested is you don't have sympathy for the lifestyles portrayed. Um, and, and I think there will be some people who, who, don't, who don't get it, don't swing with it. I'm not a hipster. I don't hang around Austin, Texas. I've never dreamed about going to buy an overpriced pair of stupid boots that are going to make me walk a bit funny. I don't want to do a sporting game just because the posters are really sort of punky looking, right? I'm not one of the people in this film, but I can invest in the underlying emotions. Because of I, Alan Page's performance? Because of because of how clearly and sort of almost acutely, really, they've been captured with Shauna Cro- Shauna Cross, who wrote who wrote the screenplay, also wrote a novel called uh, *Derby Girl*, which is just based upon, and that's sort of based upon their own life experiences, and it's just a very clean, elegant telling of what it feels like to want to get out, to find something something that, and at one point Ellen Page says it, she says I'm in love with this game, right? That's basically what she says and that's what it's about, it's a love affair and this film's currently actually my love affair and if I had a 12 year old daughter or a 14 year old daughter or a 16 year old daughter I would frog march into that cinema and I'd make her watch it and she would come out grinning ear to ear it's fantastic okay, that yeah, sounds, go on,
3: it, it definitely has that Kind of great message behind it. I think one of the things I took away from it, yeah, same thing. If I had a daughter or I knew someone who had a daughter, I'd definitely tell them. Uh, if you're in that age group, you've got to see this film because it it really does um, paint a really nice message about what you, how you should be, perhaps, and how way that you'd like to belong to something, but that shouldn't take over your life. But if, but if it's, it's not lecturing
2: mental. or hectoring at all, no, is it, Craig? Sure. It's no. not at all. No,
3: it's no, just. It's just the- Beauty of it, really. I think, yeah, it's it doesn't feel naff. It, it it's feels really
2: and simple empathetic, empathic, sympathetic, all of the above. I think it's gorgeous. Okay, okay well, I ha- I now mm. have to go and see. it I
1: mean, um, Brendan, you're when we were talking about Clash after Clash, and you you, you saw Whip it like a, literally just the, in, in the hours before you you came to Clash, and it was it was a roller coaster of a conversation because you you loved Whip it so much and you hated Clash equally um it, it was quite nice to see that at least you had one good film that evening and I'm, i i can't... hated clash more than i liked whip it let's be clear about okay, it. Well that, that that's fair enough em um, what about you have you um are, are you a fan of ellen page or are you looking forward to this film in any way
0: um i've always found ellen page a bit self-consciously kooky but whip it i have been so excited about for such a long time so i'm delighted by everything that's been said i'm probably double the age group you guys have been talking about which makes it a bit tragic that i'm so excited but there's something just inherently cool about roller derby and i don't know i just think the cast is fantastic i'm really excited to see zoe bell get to do something on screen again so i'm I'm very happy about her involvement and i'm just super excited about seeing the film to be honest
1: okay well that sounds good i mean uh, from from what you guys are saying and and from your reaction then i I have nothing in common with, with with these characters, and in particular with the main character. But what I love more than anything is a, a good, fun tale told well with no pretensions, other than just to give you an enjoyable experience. So I'm really I have, really
2: have an open heart, John. Exactly. The film has an open heart. You see, I, I love, love that. So okay. I
3: think I think as well what it is that Brendan said. I mean, it's an ordinary st- kind of said, what it's an ordinary story told really, really well. Um, yeah, it's kind of predictable. You know where it's going, but it doesn't really matter. You're happy when it gets there. I think.
1: And that's in complete opposition to Clash, which is an extraordinary tale told incredibly badly. So, <laughs> okay, that brings us nicely to the end of our film review segment. Um, thanks, guys, for your for your recommendations. Clash is is open now. Don't you dare go and see it. Uh, Whippet, I think, is coming out uh, next couple of weeks, guys. Does anyone have a release date? Next Wednesday. Wednesday, Wednesday of this week. What better way to spend your Wednesday evening than going out to see Whippet? Okay, let's move on to the next uh, section of the podcast. We're going to talk about... um, a bit of news, and um, there was an award ceremony held um, here in London last Sunday night, uh, which was the Empire, the Jameson Empire Awards of 2010. Dave and I got to go along um, to see this. We were on the red carpet, and M was at the after-show party. Um, the main difference between this and, and a lot of the bigger uh, award ceremonies is that this one is voted for by the by the readers of Empire, and there were a few different um winners um you know in opposition to the to the british and american academies and it, i thought it'd be quite interesting just just to maybe you know touch on it a little bit um when we were on the red carpet obviously people were flying past but we did get a chance to speak to a couple of people uh, armando Iniji was uh, was in particular he was on very very good form and he was there because in the loop was uh, up for a couple of awards and actually won in uh, in the category of best comedy, which was really, really good to see, because it had these nominations uh, for the Oscars and also for the for the Baftas, and came away with nothing. So it's nice to see that this one kind of is doing so well. But to spoke to him, uh, speak to him. I was talking to him about about Chris Morris and New from Four Lines, and maybe that will be in this category next year. Um, but also, I wanted to know about the Alan Partridge movie because I know that he is talking uh, with Steve Coogan about that. He didn't confirm anything to us other than that their the main concern now is just getting a story that works for everyone. So. Um, we'll definitely definitely keep our, keep our eyes open on that. I also got to speak to the two stars of let the right one in, which is the other film that uh, that kind of uh, made good on, on on its promise by taking home the best horror award uh, these two these two um, these two kids I think are about sort of fifteen sixteen now they were they were relatively nervous, but um, when I got a chance to speak to them, I said, "Are, are you going to be enjoying or?" Are you going to be entertaining the notion of of let me in the, the US remake that's coming out? Um, they kind of look sheepish, and then and then um, and then the guy said, actually, most American are just crap. So uh, that, that that was a nice a nice charming thing for him to say. So I guess he'll be looking forward to it. Um, but there was um, best actor was Christopher Waltz. Uh, Aaron Johnson took home an award for best newcomer. Uh, Harry Brown was best British film. Uh, but the, the the difference is were the avatar awards they got best film and best director now this kind of shows that the readers of empire are clearly behind avatar and, and james cameron um guys just just to you know very very briefly before we speak to him about the about the after show did you did you follow this a did you did you follow it did, did you vote and do you think that the awards that i've mentioned uh, were deserved craig let's go with you first
3: um i didn't particularly follow it no um and I'm not sure, I'm not a big fan of award ceremonies and awards in general. I, I think I always get excited about the Oscars and about the Academy Awards, but it's mostly because it's kind of the closest us film geeks get to a sporting event. So, it's, Hey, that's uh, my life. <laughs> I've heard that said many times. <laughs> uh, it's true, though. It really is. You're, if it's yours to start with, you're right. It's perfect. It's, it is, and they're often ridiculous, they're often odd. Um, but they're always fun to watch, and I think looking down this list of winners, um, some of them to me just stand out like crazy. But some of them, I'm really happy. I'm really happy that in the loop finally got some sort of recognition. It's absolutely great film, um, and let the right one in as well. Definitely.
1: Brendan, what about you? Did you did you keep up with this at all? Were you surprised or in uh, or happy about any of the any of the winners?
2: What I think is interesting about the Empire Awards is that it's a public vote, so it's like dipping the uh, you know the, the meat thermometer <laughs> into the to the Great British Turkey, <laughs> and finding out what they say. Um, I think you can vote globally actually, but I know that you know the majority of of Empire readers are from uh, good old Blighty, and it it says quite a lot about the magazine uh, and where it pictures itself, and it paints quite a clear picture of a, of a demographic, and it's. You know, in a sense, it's our people, isn't it? Right? It's um, it's people roughly, I'd say, of our age or younger, um, of, of similar sort of generic interests in terms of the sort of films we like. It's absolutely never got anything to do with the quality of the films. But I don't think that's the point of this particular award ceremony in particular. Um, I think it's about recognising, you know, Empire type movies and charting out a little, a little. You know, sense of. Do you know what it is? It's the movie version of Whippet. It's a we belong. We've got somewhere we go. We all we all fit here.
1: Sure. Okay. Well, it it was an interesting event, and even though it it wasn't. It was not pleasant at all um, on the red carpet or, or in the press pen, but it was nice being able to speak to a few people. Edgar Wright, we actually caught up with, um, this was the day after Scott Pilgrim kind of broke the internet, and he was very, very happy with that. And also, I, I kind of quizzed him on, on what he's going to do next, and also, um, he basically, he wouldn't tell me, um, but also I, I said to him, OK, we've got lots of American comics, how about British comics? Maybe there's something that, that you might want to look at there. And he said, many years ago, before even Shaun of the Dead kind of got, got you know kicked off he was a 2000 ad man so he wanted to do an, like an adaptation of big screen version of strontium dog now that i know nothing about strontium dog but maybe if someone listening knows about it then they can just let let me know if that would have been a good idea if you would have wanted to see that film because he was really excited about it and maybe one day he'll actually go back to it but um em you were at the after show party um did you get a chance to meet with any with any people back there
0: yeah, absolutely. We um, we had a chance to catch up with Armando Iannucci coming in and, again, he was still absolutely chuffed about the in-the-loop win. Very, very modest and a very nice man about it, very dignified. But, yeah, he he was thrilled. The, the general sense in the room, actually, was that I think after all the Oscar and BAFTA stuff has died down, whether people got the results they wanted or not, this there was definitely a sense that this had redressed the balance a little bit, that there was kind of some representation like we've all spoken of, of of films that didn't necessarily get the recognition they deserved and that was the case for let the right one in as well lena Leanderson, the, the little girl from the film was there and looking bless her, just a little bit overwhelmed but it the sense in the room was kind of very much in support of those films although there were some positive things said about avatar it was more that Maybe a little bit of patriotism going on for the British films, but just that, yeah, that they'd finally had their time in the sun. Really, I think.
1: Okay, that's fine. I mean, it, it, you can find all all of the awards, obviously, on Empire site, or you can you can go to our site and you can actually see um, the interviews that, that we conducted. But that's kind of the end of the award season, I think, for for, for this year. So that's you know that, that's kind of a nice end. Um, okay, we're going to move on now to a bit of uh, to a bit of news. Um, a couple of items that, that we thought it was worth talking about this week um, this is specific to the, to the UK I'm not sure about how it, how it plays in America but um, HMB who's one of the, I think maybe is the biggest UK uh, entertainment retail stores have teamed up with with curzon cinemas to actually open cinemas in their stores in their retail stores this was after a pilot that was conducted last year the end of last year in wimbledon in um in south london and it looks as if they're going to expand that over the next few years to include 20 cinemas relatively small sizes um relatively small size screens um actually in in their retail stores now guys i just wanted to get a uh, kind of a bit of a reaction from you because this to me seems like a, a a very good idea um it seems like a bit of a bold initiative
2: um let's start with you brendan what do you think about this idea well it just sounds like small cursoms attached to hmvs i mean i can see why the business model makes sense because you know you're paying rates on the land already you can condense the hmv stock down these sort of things you know what i mean make a bit more use of the space uh a bit of you know Symbiosis with with between home and and cinema entertain, entertainment there, and they can use it to to effectively promote films that they're going to be selling just a few months later. I mean, that's what distributors do with cinema releases a lot of the time now, anyway. Alison online cough, um, <laughs> but um, I, you know, it doesn't sound particularly exciting to me. Small cinemas are not a good idea. I mean, why didn't I just watch it on my TV at home if we're getting that small? Um, what are you what are you going to offer me? What are you really going to offer me? And when I look at the programming that's on offer, it's going to be like, oh, some Hollywood blockbusters, some independent films, schm-independent. We mean the sort of schm-independent films that normally play at the curtain <laughs> sort of chains, right? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Whip It is borderline independent in the minds of the of the UK cinema-going public. So we'll have a few things. We'll have you know a few of the the typical sort of art house in quotes things trotted out. But then they'll try and fill it up with live sporting events and, uh, you know, live broadcasts from the opera and things like that. Like look, It's going to be like the city screen chain and like the curtson chain. I don't really see the point, really. I say build them big, make them worth going to, make my evening at the cinema an event, price it reasonably, make the food and drink affordable. Do you know what? Be the Prince Charles cinema. That's what you should be. (laughs) Not a mini Curzon tacked on the side of a shop that prices so much more than their website. It's like they don't want to exist on the high street anymore.
1: (laughs) I'd say you're right. It's good that you mentioned the Prince Charles um because... Craig and I were having a conversation with uh, with Tracy, our our US correspondent, and we were talking about her coming over, and we'd have a trip around London, and we'd finish it off with a with a um a, you know a film with the Prince Charles, and that just happened to be the cinema that that we both spoke about. Um, it is probably my favourite or at least one of my favourite cinemas and we're very lucky in, in London to have this uh, cinema sort of just off Leicester Square where you have obviously the the you know the enormous um, Odeon and, and Empire in the View. Um, Craig, what about your take on this story? Do you think it's a good idea?
3: Um, I agree entirely with Brendan to be honest. I mean, from a business point of view it makes perfect sense. I can see why they're thinking of doing it. Um, if it was like the Prince Charles I'd love it but I think Brenda's right, it's going to be really bland and uninteresting. I think it's going to have yeah, big Hollywood blockbusters, but on a tiny screen that doesn't really make sense to me and it's going to have, yeah, not really independent films. If it was independent films, if it was I don't know, some more smaller releases that were interesting or even played older films uh, and brought them back, that could be interesting. But I don't think it's been really going to do any of those things. It's going to be uh, just like a scaled down multiplex which I don't really see the the advantage.
1: I think one of the things for me that I, when I first thought of it, is um, they're obviously going to put these screens out to hire, and it could be that they they might make it a bit of, of a cheaper option for people who want to, you know, put on uh, like a film night, like we might do um, sometime this year. So
2: it, it might be good. you know, I can't imagine YouTube. it being any cheaper. Just I mean, per seat, um, it'll probably be more expensive. Well, I mean, there are there are definitely reasonably priced options for that sort of thing in the London area. Prince Charles I, actually. I can't see that... um, I can't see that shackling it to something that, you know... It's got too... Corporate entities driving it is going to make a change for anybody. Well, I'm, I'm hoping to... I'm just thinking that
1: this is the almost the equivalent of putting a Starbucks inside a inside a Borders. Do you know what I mean? Like a, like like a bookstore. It's kind that of that worked it, out, didn't it? Yeah, it really did. Um, and Oops, what do you think about so. this? If, if if you were browsing in HMB and you happened to cast your eyes aside and see that a film that you were vaguely interested in was starting and it was relatively cheap, would you would you make use of it?
0: Oh, I. Th- I just think it's all a bit depressing. It just like the Starbucks in a Boulders. It's just... It's the homogenisation of the high street. I just... I would hope I wouldn't go in because it's... You know, you, if you're going to support small cinemas, support your small local cinemas that are closing every single week, you know, support your little local theatre that does a screening a couple of times a week. This just sounds... It just sounds depressing. And no, I would really hope that I wouldn't because... Just to be able to, I don't know, pick up your music and then nip and see a film as part of your Saturday just seems a bit dull, I think. To be honest.
1: Okay, well that that sounds that sounds quite good. Actually, you guys have convinced me that it's not a good idea. Thank you for that. Um, but it's going to happen anyway. It looks like so. we will be able to have our chance to choose or, you know, to attend or not. So, okay, that that's one bit of news that we just picked up. That that was UK. That was UK only. A couple of um, trailers we we'll just talk about quickly came out. Um, there was a new. A-Team trailer that came out, I believe it was yesterday or maybe the day before, and this came out a couple of days after the Expendables trailer both very similar in terms of, of, uh, of what they offer um, and I have to say that there was quite a, a positive reaction to to the A-Team trailer in particular as it seemed to give a lot back to the people who were um, looking forward to the revival of the eighties thing um, Let's start with you Em, have you seen either of them? Are you interested for either of them?
0: Um, I'm, I'm a little bit peculiar when it comes to trailers. If I'm very interested in seeing a film, I don't deliberately don't see the trailer. So the 18, because I'm slightly curious about what they're going to do with it, whether it's horrible or brilliant, I have not watched the trailer deliberately. The Expendables I can take or leave, so I have, and it looks I don't know, it's Jason Statham and lots of old action stars. It looks cheesy, popcorny goodness. I think probably dreadful, but it may be in a good way.
1: Okay, I have to say that's kind of similar to, to how I saw the A-Team, but Craig, what about you? Have you do you have any um, reaction good or bad to these trailers?
3: Um, I had reasonably negative reactions to both, to be honest. I didn't really like the A-Team trailer. I didn't like the first A-Team trailer we saw and this recent one. I wasn't a of either. Whereas the Expendables, I quite enjoyed the footage that we got last year. Um, I thought it looked like a fun, fun B-movie essentially, but with a fair bit of money. And this new trailer made it made it look a little uninteresting to me really. It 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 reminded me too much of Rambo, uh the most mm. recent Rambo. And I think the parts that didn't work in that Rambo film were the politics, terrible, terrible politics and the the way Sylvester Stallone tried to inject the more thought provoking story and really failed abysmally. And I think if maybe it stuck to just the fun, it could have been a better film. And I think the expendables I worry it might be the same thing that he might try and make it a bit more serious and lose sight of what he's actually doing. Do
1: you think that there was a quite a heavy dose of, um, of self-parody in it? Because that was the impression I got that the whole thing was was just an exercise in, in bringing back these these guys, making them go through a very similar mission. You know, type <laughs> thing, lots of bangs and explosions, and yet the new trailer seemed a bit more generic, seemed a bit more, uh, seemed a bit less special. Yeah, so. Planet
0: Hollywood reunion, yeah. definitely. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
1: That would be great, Escape from Planet Hollywood, that's what they should call it. That's, uh, Brendan, what about you? You are a big fan of the A-Team trailer, weren't you?
2: John, I'll tell you what, when you uh, started off this podcast tonight, you had to call me up, didn't you? Because I was I asleep, and I was asleep because I'm not very well, and I think I'm not very well. Let's be honest, I think I'm not very well because of the A-Team trailer. <laughs> um, I was actually on the verge of calling an ambulance about 30 seconds into it. It's shocking. It's shocking. It's insulting. It's absolute lowest common denominator PAP of the worst kind. And indeed so is the Expendables. What's the point of these films? Neither of these directors have showed any sort of aptitude with with filming and staging action anyway. So even on the level that, you know, if you could brush the the dicky morality under the way underneath the carpet and just sort of watch them as sort of exercises of bod- bodies resting in motion even on that level, they're going to be sort of abject failures. I think they look, I think they look terrible, these two films. I've got no interest in either of them in any way whatsoever. And I'm embarrassed to see all these horrible, sort of wrinkled, right-wing Americans sort of parading around like it's their glory days. It's just sad. Sad. So I, I almost needed to watch Hot Tub Time Machine after the Expendables trailer. Luckily, I did see Hot Tub Time Machine after the 18 trailer because that's where I first saw it. They actually screened that one to us before the, uh, before the, before the time machine. Um, Look, I don't like the 18 TV show. I don't know why anybody would like the 18 TV show. If somebody's actually got some sort of explanation of why they've enjoyed it, I'd love to hear it. Mainly, it seems to be nostalgia again. You know, if people want to know what I feel about nostalgia, podcast 11, part one. But, um, I'm not at all interested in either. I'm disgusted at the sort of general drive of commentary on the internet being positive. Obviously. Nobody's thinking anymore. There's an absolute lack of, of, critical engagement with things and and it's just getting tiring so you're going to be first in
1: line when both these films come out then Brendan
2: yeah and if you open my jacket you'll see I'll have loads and loads of sticks of dynamite wrapped around my body I'll be smoking a big cheroot (laughs) You'd
1: fit in pretty well there. Okay, guys, we're gonna. That, that, that's the end of our of our sort of snippets of film news. We're going to move on now to our movie resurrection roundtable. But just before we do, just to let you know, if you're listening to this podcast over the weekend, that uh, um, our chief editor of the site, um, Dave, is actually over in uh, in America at the moment. He's been invited to see Pixar, and he's spent a whole day with them. I believe it was yesterday, and got a lot of interviews with with Lee Unkrich and and John Lasseter. He's doing his video diaries uh, day by day about his experience out there in Pixar and he's also going to be at WonderCon in, uh, over the next couple of days so if you're at all interested in Toy Story 3 or anything that's going on there um, do check this out because he's updating it and he's just he's been excited for the last 70 odd hours so um, it's it's a pretty good watch um, okay guys this is our movie resurrection round table and like, as I said before if, if any of you listening out there have a, have a better title um, do let us know do email in um, I'm not going to go first this week uh, I'm going to and Brendan I think you went first last week so M Let's go with your film um, What film are you going to recommend to us this week?
0: Okay, well my film is fairly contemporary But there's a good reason for its uh, seemingly modern yet. It's the film Cherish It's a 2002 movie Directed by Finn Taylor And it's not exactly star heavy, should we say It stars Robin Tunney Who really, apart from the craft Hasn't overwhelmed the world of film Although she's done quite a lot in TV I think it's a real hey you guys feeling movie i think we all kind of are slight daydreamers and maybe daydream in very movie ways you know you wander around with the soundtrack in your head and she's very much that kind of person she sort of lives in a bubble of her own has a really generic nine to five job and for a set of reasons that i won't go into because they're quite pertinent to the plot she's kind of busted out of that shell ends up locked in her own home, so she finally comes out of herself, ends up locked up in her own home under house arrest because of something that's gone on, has a stalker which nobody particularly believes her about, but it's just her her relationship with the security chap who comes along to tend to her ankle bracelet and to keep an eye on her the technician, it's just the strangest film, it's the soundtrack is extraordinary, it's very very hug appropriate, it's 80s Soundtrack movie music that you've just forgotten all about. And the soundtrack really is the kind of the third character of the film. Her, the chap who's running the bracelet program. uh, They, I think, have this weird sort of anti-romance, and it's this very claustrophobic. it, It feels like a play. It's just, it's the most extraordinary quirky, beautiful film that Who's I've seen in a long, long time.
1: That sounds good. I mean, I have to say that I haven't heard of it personally. Who's the director of it?
0: She, he hasn't done a great deal. His name's Finn Taylor. He uh, he directed uh, Pontiac Moon back in the 90s. Okay. And then the Darwin Awards, which was kind of... A, that one passed me by, to be honest. I'm not 100%. You'll probably recognise the, um, the, the security chap best. It's Tim Blake Nelson, who oh, you might know... From um, my um, brother, where art thou? He, he's just just a real fantastic character in Syriana, and the film is just it. It just centres around this strange bond that these two lonely, lost people have, and just this amazing music. And that the, there's a very important reason for the for the soundtrack being there, and it is just it's just. An amazing film, it's very hard to describe and absolutely worth getting and sticking with. It's on Amazon, it's just genius. Cherish, 2002.
1: Fabulous. I love it. Okay, that's a really good summation, and it's really best in some instances not to tell us too much about it, but just to recommend it. What I'll do is, I'm uh, on the post for this podcast when it goes up on the site. I'm going to put trailers for each of them um, so that you can kind of get get an idea about um, about what the film is. If you do so, choose to go and buy it. So that's great. Thanks for that, I and mean, That's that's excellent. There, there might
2: be spoilers in the Cherish trailer, but I remember when I was out in LA in 2000, it came out, and I saw the poster. And uh, it's the picture of him with a lollipop. I don't know if that's, like, on the cover of your copy or whatever, but it was the movie poster when it came out. And I think that was enough to convince a lot of people to go and see it. Right, OK. <laughs> well, if you haven't already seen it, then
1: um, then then do take Anne's recommendation. Um, Craig, we're going to move on to you now. What's your movie rec- uh, resurrection?
3: Um, my film's also quite a current one. Uh, well, quite a recent one. But um, it's one that didn't get any distribution in the UK. Uh, it's a film called Linda, Linda, Linda. It's a Japanese film directed by Nobuhiro Yamashita and it centres on a group of girls in a high school who are trying to get a band together uh, to perform at their school festival. Um, I picked it because it reminded me a little bit of Whip It or Vice Versa and the way it kind of is a sweet little story about teenagers um, and it has a kind of a traditional narrative where they're trying to get their band together to play. Uh, almost like a Battle of the, the Band style finale. Um, but the film focuses more on the practices, uh, the kind of little tiny moments between the excitement and drama. And um, it doesn't over-dramatise the characters, uh, and the way it deals with the relationships is really, really impressive. It, it reminds me more filmmaking-wise of Jimouche, Jim than it does, uh, more kind of high school dramas. Um, it's just an absolutely fantastic film.
1: Is, is the soundtrack um, a particularly good one? Uh, yeah, definitely.
3: It, um, they try to decide what they want to um, play at the end. And uh, they settle on a song by the Blue Hearts, which are kind of Japanese Ramones sort of band. So, um, they were quite successful a while back. and uh, The score is provided by James Earhart and Smashing Pumpkins. Um, I'm not, not a big fan of Smash and Pumpkins, but the soundtracks of the film are really, really good. It's really kind of sweet, gentle, uh, really suits the pace of the film. The film's really slow-moving, um, just quite a sweet, tender little film, really, and uh, absolutely
1: love it. That sounds great, thanks I, 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 I have never heard of it at all So that's why I love this section of the podcast Because they have been some fantastic recommendations so far um, Thanks for that Craig As like I said, I'll put a, uh, like a trailer up on the, uh, on the post When it does go up That sounds, that sounds really, really interesting um, Brendan, let's move on to you
2: uh, It's another musical film actually um, It's a film called Sparkle from 1976 And it's the only film directed by Sam Osteen Who was Mike Nichols' editor Okay. and edited The Graduate and uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and a lot of uh, Nichols' later films as well. It's the only film he ever directed. Um, more well-known names on the credits are Joel Schumacher, who was a screenwriter on the film, and Curtis Mayfield, who wrote the music. Um, and it's it's like Dreamgirls, based upon the story of The Supremes. Um, unlike Dreamgirls, it's very good. I mean, it's, it's, it's faulty and it's flawed, but it's the it's the best film of its ilk, I think. Um, we've got Irene Cara in there. She's probably the most uh, well-known name. But um, uh, either Crockett or Tubbs from Miami Vice is in there. <laughs> I'm going to pretend I don't know anything about Miami Vice. Um, uh, it's the one that's not Don Johnson. Um, and uh, it's got a good soundtrack. There's a, a soundtrack album by Aretha Franklin. And if you buy the recent US DVD, you actually get. Uh, a CD of Franklin's music uh, with it. But the film was unavailable for years and years and years, and you'd just see it on television sometimes, and then occasionally it would sort of you know, play late nights. And then a few years ago, it started creeping out, and the first release of it in the UK, full price, was £3. Wow. Um, but they were trying to capitalise on, on Dream Girls, you see. That was really what they were, were going for. But um, I think uh, it. If you're at all interested in editing, this is what happens when an editor makes a film and it's very different than when a cinematographer makes a film and very different than when uh, an actor makes a film. So for anybody who's got any experience in editing and how you'd think about the component points of cinema from that point of view, uh, it's interesting to look at in that way too. It, it sounds great. I, I,
1: again, I've never, ever heard of it, so um, this could be an, a, another one that, that we all have to check out. Um, does it does it have any um, a, a, apart from Dream Girls? Is there is there anything else like it out there that people may have seen?
2: Well, I mean stuff like the Five Heartbeats, maybe um, you know. Um, it's it's a, a story about the ups and downs of people who are in a band, but they're based on the Supremes quite closely. Indeed, this is interesting. One of the fictional supremes type characters in the movie is called Effie. They borrowed that name for Dream Girls. Um, and I don't know if that was an homage or just a steal or whether they thought they'd get away with it. I don't know. But it's, so, it's so close in, in intent to what you would imagine Dreamgirls were trying to do, except for it's not a musical, you know. It's not a musical in the sense that um, people spontaneously sing and and, and, and part of the diagesis is that we are to accept uh, people singing to one another as they get on with their everyday life, which is something that sort of strangely kicks in halfway through Dream girls. It's not like that. The songs are, uh, you know, wrapped into the narrative in the way that they are into real life. These are people performing songs in contexts in which people would perform songs.
1: Okay, it sounds great. Thanks for that, Brendan. Okay, Um, my choice this week was actually sparked off by a bit of news um, that was reported just. Last couple of days actually about Henry Selick going back to uh, or being invited back to to Disney, um, and it put me in mind of, of a few of his films that I've very much enjoyed, and one in particular um, which I don't know. Certainly, in my mind, it, it hasn't been it hasn't been so well sort of received and remembered, but. Um, his take on uh, Roald Dahl's *James and the Giant Peach* is a film that I saw in a cinema mm-hmm. um, in '96 when it when it came out, and it. I had no real idea about what exactly I was going to go and see. I, I knew the story really, really well from from when I was a kid, and I loved the story very, you know, from when I was a kid. Um, and I wasn't sure about the take because when I when I got into the cinema and it began and it was live action and you had. Joanna Lumley and uh, Miriam Margulies being Aunt Sponge and Aunt Spiker to um, to Paul Terry's uh, James Henry Trotter and, and I knew that the story that that, that they were going through and, and the live action when he meets the, you know, the old guy Pete Possum the way he played him it all seemed quite generic and it seemed like a bit of a disappointment to me but as soon as uh, Henry Selleck gets his hands on on the stop motion animation when James actually goes into the giant peach, and you see these um, just really really wonderful uh, insects as uh, as they are they are, uh, are transformed like the giant peaches by these sort of magic crystals. Um, the animation just it, it, it kind of blew my mind, and it was probably the first time because I hadn't seen Nightmare Before Christmas uh, at that point when I when I, when I realised actually. You know, I didn't hate stop-motion animation because I didn't have much of a much of a love for it beforehand. But the way it, it played these um, these characters off against each other, the way that it um, it told the story. The scenes of of the page being flown across the sea, I'd seen these before in my head, but and, it, and if I'd seen it today, if they were to make it today with all uh, CG, then it may be quite good, but it certainly wouldn't have had the charm that that, that the Henry Selick stop motion animation um, did. It was such a wonderful experience for me that I, I didn't mind the sort of the live action bookends, and for some reason, no one. Really mentions it anymore, and, and I'm not quite sure why. So, if if I could do anything in this movie resurrection sort of round table, it is to point people to that and say, you did like, I'm sure, The Nightmare Before Christmas, and and you like what you know, Henry Selick has done. But do go back and check this out because they they treat the the story with the. Um, with the respect that it deserves. But they also add a little something with uh, with all of the wonder and the and, and the character design and the way that the stop motion animation plays so perfectly to what they're trying to say. Um, guys, has anyone else seen this? Anyone else a big fan of this one?
0: Yes, definitely. It's a fantastic choice. It, it just managed to give you exactly what you had pictured in your head as a child, as an adult. I just thought it was genius. That, that kind of fear and wonder and just extraordinary movie i thought it was amazing and i'd forgotten all about it actually that's it
1: and i think that that a lot of people have craig what about you have you ever seen this one
3: um i have yeah um it didn't really click with me at the time but it was a film that i I kind of saw on an off day and i thought i needed to revisit it really um so it's definitely going to the top of my pile again
1: it's pretty worth doing actually
2: brendan what about you you like it john i think it's lovely and i think selic is a is a genius director of, of stop motion i think some of the live action stuff um is so deliberately in a sort of a, an outdated style it feels like it feels like oz era stuff mm. um uh that i think modern audiences might bulk it and i think that might have been part of its problem i'm not sure the songs are really up to the standard of of those in Nightmare Before Christmas, or indeed the one in Coraline, mm. but um, uh, it's a fine film. No, no, getting away with it, away, away with it. I think um, I was hoping for a moment though you were going to actually say Monkey Bone. No, uh, is that a future recommendation from you, Brandon? Then that could um, be interesting. Maybe, maybe not, but but uh, it's the film. It's Selick's sort of black sheep, isn't it? It's the one that really is not accepted. Oh, I love it. I've, I've not seen it.
1: I'll have to check it out. Wonderful. Okay, well, there you go. You have two recommendations this week from uh, from one of us, so that's perfect. Um, okay, guys, I think we, we should draw it to a close next. We're kind of running just over an hour, so um, th- thank you, thank you very much, uh, M. Craig and and Brendan, for your for your times weekend, for your opinions, and um, uh, what I would say is do check out and. Uh, any of the news any of the any of the interviews that we conducted at the Empire Awards uh, do check it out on heyyouguys.co.uk you can follow us on Twitter at heyyouguysblog um, we are also individually all on Twitter as well so you can find us there uh, Brendan Conley, you can find uh, on slashfilm.com and as I say every week because it's worth saying every week slashfilm.uk is a really really excellent column which which goes up every Friday so okay guys that's it for another wonderful week um, I look forward to uh, speaking with you soon